0: less nerve wracking the first service I came up the hill there was another car that came up the hill I only saw two cars so I either thought it was Saturday or I thought maybe they put out a bulletin that I was speaking so I wasn't sure but at least you guys had to come here Uh, Steve's taking uh, a journey through the book of Esther and uh, he'll be continuing that and uh, Yet, God put on my heart something to share with you. Uh, I, I hope that you find it helpful. Uh, I'm going to be using a name that I see out here. There are some people with gray hair, so you will re- you will know this name called Charles Swindoll. Uh, many of you will not know that name because uh, he, uh, he was older. And yet, during a season when uh, uh, the believers in the United States were listening to different sermons you did not have the option that you guys all have with all of the speakers that can come in your living room we had about four and he was one of them and he was a godly man he still is a godly man has greatly impacted many many lives and uh, Swindoll has taken a journey and the reason I really really am blessed by him is he's a man that studied the word daily regularly very good exegesis of Scripture but I saw him be willing to change throughout his course of life the actions of his life because he was teachable even though he was a man in authority he was always teachable by things and uh, and many many uh, radical things that he would turn a direction and go this direction he wrote a book called uh, The Grace Awakening which is a little testimony of, of him he even starts apologizing By things he was teaching before he really embraced grace and when it was revealed to him. And not long ago, I mean it's a couple years ago, he I got a message from him that was uh, a message of after 50 years of service, what are the things that I can say were the key points of my life in my journey as in a ministry? And he he didn't, there weren't thousands of them, he boiled them down to some key points. And I remember at the time somewhat doing that, but I was greatly influenced by his answers. And uh, I think some of them, I'm glad I was influenced by his answers. But it kind of came down to where I began to ask that question myself. If I could go ahead and share uh, the things that really had such a huge impact on my life, that literally changed the direction and the course of my life, not just intellectually in the head but it somehow changed and my actions were changed what are those points the bible says that if we will sometimes listen and take counsel from those that have walked through that maybe ourselves we can actually learn and benefit without actually having to always go through the same type of fire and the, and the burning fire that's there Tom Haggerty, who grew up uh, next to me we grew up from five years old on he said I really uh, At times I like being your friend, then I didn't like being your friend, but now I like being your friend because you go through all the fire and I get to learn from what you learn. Uh, That is now changing, so I can now learn from him and go through the fire there too. But I'm going to kind of share with you, and I want you to think, uh, because I'm going to build on these uh, next week. God really opened up my life. Some of those uh, that I was revealed to me, Uh, They are going to be left for my children and for my children's children, my grandchildren, and those that are real close to me. They're just not things publicly I would undress that well. But I am going to share with you uh, some of the things that I believe had a great impact in my life. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what is it in your life, if you could narrow it down to a few things, that literally the key points that have changed your life made a difference in your life? I'm gonna be bold here to say that I have on the diagram, by the way I did do a PowerPoint. Those of you, I I can do it. Uh, But I have a PowerPoint, you have a blue sheet of paper that's kinda defining that. Uh, Diagrams are usually miserable if nobody explains them. Have you ever sat and looked at a diagram and wonder what in the world were they thinking? Uh, My staff over and over again say what in the world does this diagram mean? It, It meant something to me when I put it together. So I am going to give you the privy of kind of knowing how this diagram works. It's called the House of Faith. And uh, you're going to see three pillars of foundation at the bottom of this. I really do believe that these pillars are essential for any person walking the Christian life to really walk and carry these belief systems into your life to make them make a difference in your life that really, really make a difference. The first one, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these foundations because we have. If you've gone to any of the Bible studies, any of the Sunday schools, any teacher here, they are going to be teaching you these foundations. The first foundation is that God is sovereign. That word literally means basically he's in control of the show. And in, in Psalm 62, it says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. For my soul will wait in silence for God alone. For my hope is and in, is in, is in from Him, and He only is my rock. He is my stronghold and my salvation. He is my refuge. I will trust in Him at all times and pour out my heart before Him. Once God has spoken and twice I've heard this, that power, all power and might belong to God and His loving kindness, which is His unfailing love and overflowing mercy, are His. Literally what it means is He is in control. He's in charge. His ways are not going to be thwarted. When Job kind of came to the end of his conclusion of life and we sang a song here that says that His power is not limited we can't change his plan. Job came to that conclusion as he says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. And he goes on to say, I have spoken things that I did not understand, and I find out that your ways cannot be changed. And I think that what I came to realize, and I hope that you do realize, is that regardless of what you're thinking, and regardless of your circumstances, this God is in charge. Psalm 115, there's a, uh, in verse 2, it says the people were kind of all kind of thrown all over the place, and they were seeing David, and he was kind of going through a mess, and they said, Hey, where's your God now? He quickly said, My God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And, and if you are finding yourself worrying very much, fretting or worrying, most likely you're not seeing God in his sovereignty. That's not to shame you, it just means that I would look more and deeper into it. Because worry usually comes when you can't control things and the outcome and where they're going and you're worried about it. And by the way, what you're really saying is, you don't control things very well. How about you step aside and let me take over? And then we try to take over and we find it. We just make a mess of it, so then we worry. If I come to the sovereignty of God and understand that he's in charge of this show, then basically that's one of the firm foundations. But that isn't enough, I don't think. If, if he's all sovereign, but he's not, and he's all powerful, but he's not loving and good, that scares me. So the next pillar you'll see is God's loving kindness is everlasting. And that word means it's an overflowing love and affection filled with mercy. Filled with mercy. That every time he thinks towards you, it's loving, it's kind, it's good. It's overflowing with mercy, which basically just means that you don't get what you deserve. He's so in love with you, and he's good all the time, all the time. There's verses I've put in there for you on these, because we're not going to build on these a whole lot more, and I found, though, that there was one more pillar uh, when I was putting this together. It kind of still wasn't enough, especially when I had horrible events that happened to children, and horrible events that happened to people, and and terrible disasters living in a fallen world and the sinfulness of man in this world. Guys, with God's sovereignty and God's love, it just wasn't good enough. And the next pillar was that God said that no longer do I want you to look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for this slight momentary affliction is Purposing, It's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God said that you need to realize this land is not your home. You were meant for another land and to have an eternal perspective on life and to have an eternal perspective that I can see. In Hebrews 11, it says these people, these saints, these men of faith, They never really got, sometimes, what they were going after, but it says they were able to endure and live victorious in the life because they knew that this land and this place was not their home. They were designed for another planet. When something happens to a child, and I look at it and I cannot make sense of it sometimes, one of the things I'm knowing is, God, you're you're in control, you're good all the time, you're loving. And you are also preparing us for an eternal way to glory that somehow, that somehow this is going to reflect not only your glory, but their best and their glory. I can go there. Those foundations, I believe, are essential in order to go into anything that will have a lasting effect in our life. The next little box there, it's a long one, it's called faith that comes from hearing and hearing the word of God that is kind of the slab or the foundation that you're building your, uh, your internal structure of your home on. I believe that it takes faith. It's things you cannot see, what we're going to talk about. It says that faith is something that's not always seen. It's not always recognized. There's a faith, a leap of something. But one day, not very long ago actually, I, was, I was, had this put together quite a while ago and I was building on it and I was walking along by myself and i was thinking of what to share with my children and my grandchildren and then those close to me and then i realized what i want to share with you and i i remember exactly i was looking down and and i just saw i can even see where the rocks were when god put on my heart i think i was wanting him to give me kind of this incredible formula that i could pass on and then we would all be able to enter into this stuff and god really just in 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 a word in in me says Show up and shut up. And what he was really saying to me was this All that I've learned, all that I've read, all that I've studied for the 47 years of walking in this Christian life, yesterday's manna will not do me any good today. I need to be with God every day. And he said, Just show up and listen. I have a tendency to talk. He said, just listen. And I realize that I encourage you the best that I can. I can't make you do it, but in order for these things to stick, somehow there's a way that you can somehow get into somehow the word of God. Let it penetrate your life and let these things become solid. And it will be solid only for the day that you spend in it. This, give us this day our daily bread. It won't work for you tomorrow. And it was something that I realized, all of the stuff I'm sharing will just float away. If you think that by this message you'll somehow have life-changing things, it will not. Somehow you've got to be with him. So with those foundations, I want to bring you to some of the things and some of the areas that I think uh, really greatly impacted my life. The first one you'll see is the door going into the house. And That door, there are so many different words and so many different ways that people uh, have defined this gospel of grace, this exchange life, this uh, whatever, there's so many different terminologies that are there, is somehow in a nutshell, it's what we have tried to build this church on. This message is a message that says that God is flat out in love with you, he's accepted you, and you can't perform and earn it. And you can't do a bad performance and get rid of it. That God loves you by grace and grace alone. Not just to salvation, but in the rest of your life. And along with that, as I no longer have to live under the dictates of my flesh trying to perform all these do this and not do this, that I am now able to embrace the relationship with God and now live inside his grace. And that no longer is it I that live, but Christ now that lives in me. That message literally transformed my life. How it did, uh, usually most of the things I'm going to share with you came from some type of a burning fire and furnace that I had to go in. This one here, I, I, there were two events. One, I went into the hospital, I was playing professional baseball and to continue my uh, career, they had to do a, a surgery on me. And I remember being in the hospital and I was kind of looking forward to getting the surgery done so I could go play without pain anymore and I remember when they gave me uh, the the anesthetic I literally went into a complete screaming fit and went out and then passed out I woke up I was not at all thinking about my shoulder I woke up saying what was that Something beyond my power, I had never experienced anything like it in my life. And it kind of went away, and then it hit me again. I was on an airplane, and we were coming back from a conference, and the same thing, same exact thing hit me again. Now I found out years later, uh, now this is a common word, but back then not even the physicians I went to knew what this was. It was an acute panic attack. Now you say that, and everybody says, I have one, I have them. Uh, we live in a world that I think we're just panic all the time but from that crash no pain in my life has ever compared to that never but that's message of God's grace I woke up and I realized when that happened I did not know that that day would change the way that I live in the course of my life for the rest of my years on this planet. I would no longer live according to the religious laws and rules that I had been taught in religion. I no longer would live that way, and I have attempted to go this direction, never turning back from that day on. I don't do it perfectly. I fail at times. The second point came during a very, very painful time in my life, uh, I had been here in ministry a couple years and uh, and I had surrounded myself with different people. One of the people that had greatly influenced my life uh, was my older brother. He he basically began to lead me into some of these truths and began to open my mind to some of these things and uh, not only was he a great mentor and a great uh, person to point me towards God, he became my greatest friend And I got a call one day, and I answered the phone that says, your brother has killed himself. I remember my, see, that's a long time ago. My knees buckled clapped, and I thought, how could this happen? Now, I'm going to give you two pictures. Uh, The picture that I'm telling you that I thought what happened, but then I'm going to give you the picture of what really happened in the spiritual world. Here's my picture. After that happened, after I kind of gained composure, I took God by the hand, and I said, you come with me right now. And we go into this room, and the curtain folds down, and you hear all this ruckus and fight, and you boots are flying out, and you hear all this stuff going on, and then the curtain flows up, and I had put God, and I brought him in there, and I said, you are gonna sit, in this witness chair until you explain yourself to me. The curtain goes up and what I saw was me in the witness chair. God wasn't in the witness chair. Let me back up and give you the true picture of what happened spiritually. What you would be seeing if you were looking in spiritual eyes is, I thought I grabbed God by the hand. It was me walking this way in there, and all of the ruckus and fighting was not at all fighting with God. I was hitting, I was shadow boxing. there was nobody around, and I was fighting with myself, and that's basically what began to happen until I, the, chair came, or the curtain came up, and I was in the chair, and I walked away from that. I don't know if it was a day, a week, or a month, but I walked away from there with the second biggest pillar in my life, and that is God never has to explain himself, ever, to me. he is God and I am not I got God out of the chair and from that day on I can tell you I have never asked him ever to explain himself to me again in the scriptures it says when you ask God to explain himself when you quarrel against the counsel of God you will find yourself in misery in your own chains of depression because you're telling God to explain himself Job in the In Job, an interesting portion in Scripture there, after the conclusion, it says, why do you complain and argue and wrangle with God against him that he does not give an account of all that he's doing? And I realize that if if you are a person that whenever something happens, you go and you're going to have God explain himself and you're going to quarrel with him, you will find yourself miserable most of your life. The conclusion was this, even in the midst of that experience, my God is good, he's good all the time, he's loving, and whatever he's doing will be good in my life, and he doesn't have to explain himself to me. I kind of got where Job was, where Job you know, took, and he was gonna really question God about all this stuff that was happening, and if you remember the story of Job, it's a pretty interesting story, and it's the one time in Scripture that he calls Job Mr. Fault Finder. You're going to find fault with me, the creator of the universe, always demonstrating love and goodness. And he says, well, Job, let's, let's talk about when we, we took the, the, the sun and how we composed it in all of its power and glory and never burns itself out. And how, well, I forgot, Job, you didn't do that with me. Uh, I forgot about that. And then he says, and how about when we enfolded the heavens and we made the stars and the galaxies and the stars that wrote, oh I forgot you weren't there when I did that too. He goes on for an entire two and a half chapters until Job says he he was shut up to try to have God explain himself to him. I encourage you at least to consider this in Psalm uh, 107, says uh, that when a person decides that he can uh, quarrel against God, uh, complain against God, make God try to explain himself, he will find himself miserable. That doesn't mean that you like it all the time, but it was an area that literally set me free, and that one point has changed my life radically. Even like when all of this stuff happened to my son Nick where he got the virus and all this stuff happened, I didn't like it, I didn't just jump around skipping going PTL, praise God, You know just that wasn't my attitude. I weeped, I hurt, but I never ever told God he had explained to me anything what happened. That's not because I'm so godly in that. It's just that I came to a point in my life that I am man and he is God. And he doesn't have to explain to me if he finds he wants to. That's his privilege and his honor. Never again have I asked him to explain himself to me. And you know what? It has made me live free in life. It has been an incredible freeing thing in life. In the next next week, I have a number of other issues that I will tell you that had a great impact on my life. I've talked to people. I will be talking to many of you I'll be asking you questions that I know really well. What are the things that have made a difference in your life? And it's interesting what I have heard. I've talked to people that I haven't seen for a long, long time. The former pastor of this church, Rob Graham, I called him. We talked for about an hour and a half this week. And I asked him this question. Come back next week to find out his answer. Here's another thing that I found. This was for him. first. the first thing was that I was living a gospel that was a works-oriented, man-centered gospel, and God made it a God-centered gospel by grace. Second thing is I got do- God out of the witness chair, and he no longer is in that chair, and that has changed things in my life. The third thing that I put down, I have a lot of these, and they're not in order of necessarily of importance. They're just there. In the scriptures, over and over again, in the book of Philippians, I like Philippians, I like how the wording of Philippians goes, where, where Paul says that uh, one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, and, uh, and, and a lot of different things like that, but he says in the midst of many of his writings, that I see this throughout all of scripture, weaved in and out of scripture, and I saw it in, in Charles Swindoll at one time in his life which motivated him to write another book, and the, the book that he wrote was uh, Laugh Again. I think we as believers, this is the third point, I think we as believers have an obligation to be joyful. In Philippians 2, when he talks about I, I choose to rejoice, literally when he says I have learned to give thanksgiving, it's an attitude, and the word there means we have an obligation Because the very life and joy of the presence of God indwells and inhabits us, we have an obligation to let that so look and shine out that people will see that. Proverbs 15 says, in the midst of that, it says that a a joyful face lifts the heart of those that are around them. A cheerful soul uh, adds strength to the bones of them around. Have you ever just been around people that literally they walk around and they're just always miserable? And they they want you to know they're miserable. Oh, geez, what a horrible day. You know, and it's like, you know, they don't even have to say it. It just comes out. When you get like those people, you just feel like this hanging around them. I see them coming, and I am ready to just go the other direction. It's always somebody else has it better than me. You know, and this is how they live. I believe we have an obligation to be joyful, and it's a biblical command. I'm not saying you fake not having pain. I think things hurt, and things, are, but in the midst of pain, there is just incredible joy. Somebody came up, uh, been attending our church here, just moved here, moved from Aberdeen, uh, and they made a comment. They said, I thought I had heard you speak in Aberdeen at a church, And they were at a funeral that I did uh, of a really, really neat man. It was an incredible funeral. uh, Did you go with me? No. Uh, Because in the midst of the funeral was absolute tears mixed and tangled up with laughter and joy. They would laugh about things that he did and the pranks he called, and the next thing they would cry about the missing them. It was back and forth, but mingled in all of the sorrow was this incredible joy that was absolutely drawing. It just drew you to want to be around it and be there. They said it was one of the neatest experiences they had been around to see that. I believe we have an obligation to be joyful. The scripture says, and how do you begin to turn that is begin to be thankful in any and every situation. Start giving thanks. I am rich, rich with friends. I have some of the most awesome friends, and I have a number of them. I am a billionaire when it comes to friends. And I would say this fairly safely, most all of my friends have a sense of humor, they're fun, they're joyful, and yet they're real. We weep together, but we laugh together often. I personally have learned in my life, and and one of the things I think Swindoll helped me at least know that this was a pillar, is. I'm available to be available to minister and pray for those that are hurting and those that are gloomy. But when I'm choosing to basically join forces and join my heart, I'm joining them with those people that are filled with joy. And it just seems to make you more filled with joy. I don't think she's here, but we had a a gal that worked at our front office. Uh, Her name was Leon Young. Leon Young had the most contagious laugh I'd ever heard in my life. She would start to laugh, and in short time you were laughing, and you were tears. My mom's like that. My mom, when she starts to giggle and laugh, you just are laughing. You are not even sure, remember what she was laughing about. Joy is contagious, and I believe it is one of the greatest fruits that will draw people to Christ, is a joyful heart. I think when people have been around somebody that with real joy that's what draws them to Christ and biblically I think we have an obligation and I've got down some verses there for you uh, well, maybe I didn't put those down I'll give them to you next, next time so these three things are the first three pillars in my life I remind you none of those are possible if I don't have that foundation I can't do it If I don't know God's in charge, if I don't know He's loving and good all the time, and I don't know that we were meant for another land, not for this world. The groaning that is inside me at times is just, it's a fulfillment of what I'm going to be in my completion, and I look forward to that. Therefore, this may not make sense to me right now, but it will someday. There was a guy that was a very good friend of mine. He also uh, ministered to many people I know, and his name was Bill Gillum. And he knew my brother pretty well, too. And uh, we were both kind of thrown in a place of shock. And I just remember one thing. He had a good sense of humor. But in the midst of this thing, he said, You know what? I don't know that we'll ever know why. But I tell you one thing. When we're in our kingdom, in our other land, we will wink at each other and say, God does everything right. And I realized that was one of the points that helped change my life. So in... In concluding here, I'd like you to do a couple things. One, this week, think about in your life what is it that has made a difference. I encourage you to ask people that you look at, you respect, you like their walk, you've seen victory in their life. They seem to say, somehow, that doesn't mean they don't fall and make mistakes, which you'll hear next week about me. But you realize, I like what they have. Ask them, what really Take away all the theological stuff you've got. What really made a difference in your life? I ask you to ask yourself that first. And then ask those people around you that you look at and admire. And then next week we're going to open up some more windows and some more doors to kind of show you some of the other things. Uh, We're going to have the, the musicians come up here and they're going to sing a song really has the wording for this. Then afterward, uh, my family, which actually I'll be talking about next week, of something about family that made a difference. And I have some family with Nia and Levi, and they're going to bring up Thoreau, uh, their daughter, to be dedicated as the baby dedication. And so after after the song is over, uh, I would ask you to stay around as we do that baby dedication. I'd like to just take a second and say thank you to Bill and Nancy because one of the things that has made a huge difference in my life is being around godly people, always pointing me toward Jesus.